What's up, everybody? Nick Finzer back for another Q&A, and today is a quick episode. We're talking about not only the UNT BAC Jazz Trombone Day, and I promise this is the last episode I'll be talking about it for at least six to ten months. Uh, we are talking about practicing the piano, getting your piano chops together. We're talking about mouthpiece development, like should you switch, should you stay on the same one, should you go bigger, should you go smaller, uh, as well as some music promotion tips. So those are the big three questions from today's episode. Thanks for being here, and uh, I hope you have an amazing week, and uh, we will catch you in the next one. What tips do you have for working on piano? Um, get some students that you need to uh, accompany. I mean, I know you can't right now, but... Uh, that's what helped me get to get it together was to have students that I needed to be able to at least like walk a bass line and play some chords for. Uh, so I did that and that was super helpful. It's always good to have deadlines, you know, and uh, have real life situations where you need to play the piano. So uh, that was a first one for me. And then the ways to do it was working on just like basic classroom piano stuff, finger exercises, scales, just those basic things. And then just working on simple voicings, two, five ones, um, both both rootless and with roots. I mean, going through piano class was helpful. Having to play um, uh, if do, 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 for, if I Should Lose You for Kenny Barron was not my favorite day in the world, uh, in the history. And also not my, like, favorite, not, not the greatest representation of my musicianship, but uh, that was that was something I had to do. So just like those pressure situations to like sort of get some piano chops together, um, play it. You know, I've heard great stories about like Freddie Hubbard was really obsessed with practicing the piano and he would sit and watch um, sports games. Like uh, I think I heard he liked the Lakers a lot. So he would watch the Lakers games and just, you know, play his roads like right in front of him for hours and hours and hours. And it really is uh, just a matter of time, you know, and uh, you got to put the time in, get dexterity, get separation between the hands and then uh, get some simple voicings. And I just tend to focus on voice leading and I'm um, just getting through the tunes. So Tips on promoting music. This is from Nathan Maronis. Maronis? Marones? Sorry. Uh, sure. Uh, tips are, the main tip is this. Find as many ways as you possibly can to tell people about what you're doing. Um, in a non-spammy and non-super um, commercial way. Like the best way you can do it is to be in a frame of mind of, hey, I really am proud of this thing that I made. I made this. Can you check it out? I really am proud of it. Like, and feature everyone. Make it about everyone on the project. Make it about everyone, the process, the creation, the act of sharing. Uh, not about, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. So as soon as you try to create value, entertainment, education for others, the easier it's going to be to share your music with those people. That's, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is don't assume anyone has seen any of your stuff ever, period. End of story. You have to keep telling people uh, that what you're up to. You have to keep telling people what you're doing. You have to keep telling people that your project exists because there's so much noise. And you know this, I'm sure. There's so much noise on the internet that's really, really hard to cut through. So you have to keep on telling people. And even when you think you've told everyone, probably one, I'll be generous and say one to 5% of your followers have seen what you posted. So just because it's on your feed, just because it's on your Facebook, just because it's on your TikTok does not mean anybody has seen it. And just because it says it got a thousand views on Instagram doesn't mean a thousand people will remember that they saw it. So find different ways to share. So be, I, what I always talk about is trying to be as creative as you can with your marketing in the same way you're creative with your music. 
And that's what we talk about in the Music Marketing Roadmap. Uh, I know I mentioned that at the beginning, but we talk about that extensively. We talk about ideas, we brainstorm. There's a workbook to kind of talk through, work through, brainstorm, all different ways of thinking about and creating activities for and content for getting your music out there. Um, the next tip would be to begin, when you begin thinking about the music, try to think of the bigger theme, the bigger ideas, how you can connect with people around these ideas, how can you can engage people around the, the, the reason behind your music. Um, saying these are my favorite tunes and I wanted to record them to make a document is a great framework for getting a project started for us as artists. It's not a great framework for connecting with an audience, right? Uh, it's going to connect with and build an audience. You have to think about from their angle, what is interesting about this project? You know, I always say to artists like, okay, number one, why should anybody care about this? Why? And if you can't tell me why, if you can't tell me why, then why, then there's probably no chance that anybody else is going to care about it. So take some time to really think. And you don't have to ha create the music with the story in mind. You can create the story afterward. And by story, I just mean a through line. I just mean an ideas that we can coalesce the promotion around, that we can coalesce the um, promotions around. You know, It's not necessarily that you have to tell literally a story with your music, although that can be a great way to do it too. So there's narrative projects that do well. There's also just projects of just tunes that just do well, but you have to kind of look and figure out what your goals are and align your project with the goals. You know, uh, if you make a super avant-garde record, for example, I'm not going to recommend to you that you go and make a big push for mainstream jazz radio. It just doesn't make any sense, right? So you're going to have to look at the music, look at the theme, look at what's happening, and um, work backwards from where you want to be at the end of that. So that's usually what I talk about in terms of promoting promoting music. So there was a couple things. Uh, I hope that uh, that helps you. Uh, Nathan, uh, but pretty much just you have to remember you got to keep telling people what you're doing because most people haven't seen what you've said, you know, uh, no matter how much we think we have. So be as creative with your marketing. Tell people in as many ways as you can uh, and don't be afraid to uh, be proud of your work and just share your work. That's that's the best way to promote music in the macro. Uh, obviously, there's more practical like, you know, tips or tricks or whatever, but um, I mean, I guess the answer is you can always grow into a mouthpiece. Um, my approach to equipment is maybe different than other people's. You can go with the idea that, you know, you want to have the right tool for the right job to get a characteristic sound or whatever. Um, my experience has led me to go for the sound. And when I say, I see your question here now what felt comfortable from scratch. Yeah, I do not necessarily recommend just going with what's comfortable. I did that before and I've gone to, okay, this is easy to play. And then after a couple of months, it always ends up being bad. Uh, it's always, uh, yeah, okay, so he's saying, Nils is saying that his low end always feels stronger with the bigger mouth mouthpiece, but the high end suffers, um, which is gonna be true at first. You got to find a balance, I think, between the two. I think that you can get a good low range on a small mouthpiece. You just have to work harder. Um, the equipment is never the answer. That's my, that's the short answer. Uh, it, I always go, you know, default to it's, it's me. It's not the equipment. A new trombone, a new mouthpiece is not going to fix my fundamental flaws, right? And that's just period, end of story. That's my belief. That when you've exhausted all avenues of 
practicing, of developing, and you're running into a wall, then okay, maybe there could be something we could talk about switching in terms of the equipment, but I never go to equipment first as the thing to switch. It's the, the most important thing I think is consistency over time and if sticking with something for long enough to really get comfortable with it. So really uh, it's important to um, get that consistency and find a balance and go for the sound, not the comfort and not, obviously you don't want to hurt yourself, but not for the ease of playing. That's just my philosophy. Some people really like mouthpieces that are easy to play because it feels like they can do more. But for me, if, it, if the sound suffers and it's not what's in my head, then it's not inspiring to play. So even if it's more work for me, um, which is the case with my current setup, it's more work than what I was playing six years ago, but it's getting the sound and it gets easier over time. So uh, just, you know, force yourself to kind of figure out what happens to go for the sound you want. But then there's also situations where I've had students that play really large equipment that want that big dark sound and then they end up hurting themselves because they're trying too hard, they're pushing too hard. So there is a balance. So I'm not trying to push you in one direction or the other, but there's some kind of balance to be found between the going big to bigger equipment or smaller equipment. So just go for the sound, that's what I think. How important is feel when you are playing? Feel is everything, uh, To because feel is directly tied to rhythm. You know, and feel is your musical instinct, your musical personality shining through, shining through, you know, like Curtis Fuller and JJ Johnson could play the exact same phrase, but their feel is totally different, right? Like it's going to feel totally different. It's going to feel like them if you, especially if you know they're playing super well. So, um, it's everything. So number one, it starts with having, you know, quote unquote, correct rhythm, like strong rhythm, like metronomic rhythm. But then I always pose the question at some point to my students, um, do you want to just play in time or play the time? And I know I'm saying the same words, but play in time, meaning metronomically correct, or do you want to create the feeling of the time by playing the time? Like a dr great drummer plays the time and they pull you along with them. They bring their feel, they bring their attitude, they bring their flow, they bring all of that to the time. So uh, that's a, something I aspire to. And I hope that you, you know, my students will do the same to like play the time, not just play in time. So, and that's kind of where feel starts. And then to develop feel more, you have to absorb and play along with great musicians. So, what would I do? I play along with transcriptions. I play along with records. Uh, so, I, you know, there's matching JJ, there's matching Curtis, matching Slide Hampton. And then from there going to, all right, I'm going to play along with the jazz messengers. And just, you know, a lot of those old records, you can turn off like half the band, you know, put the, just the left or just the right. And so it's like, man, just turn on Art Blakey and play along with Art Blakey. That's killing. Like, I can't do it in real life because he's dead, right? So, but and on record, I can play along and try to cop some of that feel, man. You got to play along with those people. They inspire you to play with that feel, and it has to be strong. You know, Steve Teray was on me for a long time um, about the rhythm, about playing the time, about having clear articulation to play the time clearly. All of those things are connected. You can't have one without the other. Um, so I know that's a long answer to your question there, Manuel. But uh, that's, that's it for me. I mean, the feel is the thing. You can get as much vocabulary as you want, and it makes no difference if you've got no feel, no time, uh, no sound, you know? So 
that's 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 that. Oh man, are you panning that in order to play with them? Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, Alton, yes, put put them to one side and then play play along with our Blakey or play along with Herbie or whatever it might be. Turn Curtis off so I can play. <laughs> I know it's maybe sacrilegious, but it's good. It's a good exercise. Or even just play right on top of them. You know, I play with the Bud Powell trio a lot. Uh, Chick Corea's trio. You know, I just turn that on and try to play along. Um, it's a good exercise in like really playing too, because that there's intensity. The musical intensity is at a high level uh, at that point. So that's that. Um, yeah, you can pan a lot of them, Alton. Uh, not all of them, but it just depends on like if if they're mixed that way. Like sometimes you so sometimes you can turn turn off one side or the other side, um, but it depends on the record. Same with Abersolds. The old Abersolds are hard panned left and right, so you can turn off the piano or turn off the bass. I think the drums are in the middle. It just depends. So if you don't know what panning is, you don't know what I'm talking about. Sometimes if you mix in stereo and a record's in stereo, some in old recordings they would hard pan, meaning totally left or totally totally right in a in a um, mix. And so like the bass is over here, the piano is over here. So you can kind of turn one off or just focus on one by turning the panning knob uh, one way or the other other one way or the other excuse me so like an example of this is i made one record this way a two trombone record with a great a classmate of mine from juilliard named joe mcdonough it's called upon arrival if you want to check it out but um we did that record and we had andy farber a great composer arranger producer in new york uh, produced that record and he's like man let's do it like you know old school and like just hard pan them hard pan everything left and right and it creates an interesting sound it's sometimes hard to listen to um in in uh headphones though so because like one person's over here one person's over here it gives a better picture like on big speakers you know like in a, on a home stereo or something like that or it mixes fine when if you do listen to it on like your laptop speakers or something like that um but yeah it's so it's kind of fallen out of fashion because a lot of people you know do we're listening on headphones now more into the future so thanks for being here and we will catch you later <laughs>